Amen. Now please turn your attention with me to the reading of the scripture today from the book of Acts. The ninth chapter in the starting in the 32nd verse. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper rooms. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Try taking a picture of someone, and if they are not ready, if they are not prepared, they will object rather strongly. No, 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 my hair's not right. No, 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 my makeup's not on. No, 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 I'm not, I don't like pictures of myself, and so for whatever reason, um, they will come up with one, and they, I just don't want this picture of me. And we can understand that, can't we? After all, a picture, once it's taken and someone else has it, is now completely outside of your control. And we want to present ourselves in such a way where we look, let's be honest, good, at least reasonable, right? This is our desire. This is kind of how things work. And so we want to have limited control to what those pictures look like, and we want to spend the time necessary to make sure that we look as good as possible. There are other times where we really like pictures. We love pictures. We go out um, in a student's senior year. We go out, and as moms and dads, we've done this four times. Uh, We go out, and we find someone who's going to take pictures of our children. Um, I was driving by just the other day, and the only thing that I could think was happening was a senior picture moment. Somebody had found an old wooden fence. I don't know if you know this. They're real popular nowadays. And they found this old wooden fence, and there's this, looked like a high school senior sitting near this fence, and he's got, you know, a basketball and a guitar and, you know, three other things that, he, that represent him. And, and, and there's someone, and they're taking pictures. And I thought, huh, it's kind of interesting just how much we, we love those pictures. So I don't know if you know this, but like for our sons, this is the most natural pose there is. <laughs> our sons are always doing this, and they always... They always have their guitar there, and 
They always have their basketball there because, you know, Canadians, they love basketball. So they're all, and this is such a natural, natural position and a natural pose. No, it's not. It's, it's just, it's what we do. <laughs> we, we love to take pictures. We have a new word, right? What happens when you take a picture of yourself? Selfie, selfie. And, and we love those. In, in part, we look at, look at any kind of social media, and it's hilarious because you, you can tell it's virtually that person has found a pose they really, really like because every cover is the, that same look, right? It's just, it's just the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And it's just they're, they're trying to present themselves. It, it can be even a little discouraging sometimes because when we see people and we only see them when they're at their best, we can begin to believe, wow, like I'm, I don't always look like that. It takes me a long time to look like this. And it just seems like everybody else, they just fall out of bed and they look. We know that's not true. But these pictures can really be discouraging or even sometimes deceiving. Can't they? And that's one of the reasons why I really love the Bible. Because the Bible isn't out to try to show pictures um, about God's people in the Old Testament or about the church in the New Testament that always look the same. That always, us in our best moments, us when we're looking the best, us when we're prepared. I think one of the reasons why is because, like, we're not the ones with the camera. God is. And in God's goodness... And in God's power and in God's prerogative, he's constantly taking pictures. And so we see a picture of Abraham who took his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loved. And the Lord asked him to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah and Abraham did that. What an incredible portrait. And then you find another picture of this same man lying about his wife being his sister because he's afraid that God won't protect him with Pharaoh. Huh. Same guy? Yeah, see, but Abraham, even his wife Sarah, they didn't have the camera. And so God takes these pictures. It even reminds us, like, what the Bible is really all about. The Bible's not about Abraham. It's not about Moses. It's not even about the children of Israel. It's about their maker. It is about their redeemer. It is about their restorer. And only when you have like the real photo album, you know? Like the real pictures of us, the ones that we're not in control of, do you ever actually really see people? I so wanted to do this, and, and my wife lets me get away with so much. But I thought, uh, today's not the day. A couple of days ago, we were in Chicago saying goodbye to Mac and Liv. No, we weren't. We were going to say goodbye to Heidi and whoever took her. <laughs> and we went, and we got Heidi Mae. That, they were getting ready, and so we just stole her. And we were at this Airbnb in Chicago, and I, Andrea was holding her in bed, right? It's my wife just waking up, okay, when I think she's at her prettiest. 
And uh, happy Valentine's Day, sweetheart. And there is Andrea sitting up in bed, and she's holding Heidi Mae. And I just said, I got to take a picture of this. And my wife said, of Heidi Mae, not me, please. And I, at that moment, no. Like, I don't, honestly, like, I don't just want a picture of Heidi Mae. And this is probably more real. I don't need you to get up and to get ready. And so I just took a picture. Not for Facebook, not for Twitter. It's for our family. At this really special moment. And it was just real. And that's like the book of Acts. It just, it describes the church. And it's not trying to put on its best face. It's not trying to put on its worst face. It's, it's like we don't have the camera. It's someone else with, with a different agenda than ours is the one revealing what he wants to be known about himself through his people. There, there's a book that came out recently, and I, I really do I encourage you to pick it up. It's, it's uh, Francis Chan's newest one. Um, Letters to the Church. And in that book, um, I really appreciated just how he has this genuine and deep love for the church. And he describes with many different portraits what past churches that he has served with looked like. And he talks about different churches. And every every page is like a snapshot. He's taking that letters to the churches from the book of Revelation. But I, I just kept seeing the book of Acts. And as I was reading that book, I was kind of going through all of, the, all of the pictures of Andrea and I in our years of ministry, of all the different people that we got to be a part of, all the different churches, all the different families, and, and in reality, like, not all the pictures look good. Like, sometimes we, we, we get dressed up and we try to look our best, but the majority of life is just real. And that's the book of Acts. And so when you open it up, Luke isn't trying to present anything more than Jesus. In his first book, he explained all that Jesus began to do and teach. And now he continues in his second book to describe the continued ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, it it takes great strength and faith and conviction to be honest about one's own family, doesn't it? And that's exactly what Luke does. He shows a picture of a generous church. He makes this bold statement. There was no needy people among them. Well, the only way that you can do that is to just say, hey, you, you, you don't make the cut, like you don't make enough, and so we don't want you here. That's not what Luke's describing. Luke is describing a church that literally looked at those with need and then those who had plenty, and as Luke records, and many who had land, they sold that land and they gave and they gave it to the apostles so that it might be distributed so there would be no needs among them. This incredibly generous church. That's a picture you want to keep, isn't it? That one goes over the fireplace, right? There are other pictures that, that are a little more, um, little more intense, a little more personal, Luke takes this picture of the church early on. He describes them as being really devoted, like the hardworking kind of devoted, not the, not the soft, gushy devotion, 
but I'm talking about like the hard devotion. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That sounds like a group of people that recognize we don't know enough to make it through life. We need someone else to teach us. That's rare, even in those days. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to fellowship. Think about that. They were devoted to fellowship. It's not, hey, babe, you want to go to church today? Hey, you feel like going to life group tonight? See, that's not a devoted question. The devoted question is, hey, I'm going to be honest, I don't feel like going to life group tonight. But they're family, so we're going to go. Like Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Don't think I want to go. I mean, literally, I'm tired. I'm just kind of stretched real thin. It's been a busy time, but they're family, so we're going. That devoted to fellowship, not just, wow, they've got some really cool friends. I've been thinking a lot about this statement that's found in Ephesians where the Apostle Paul says, bear with one another, like put up with one another. When was the last time you put up with somebody? Where the relationship wasn't working, but you weren't bailing. There's a picture of the church that is devoted to fellowship. Think about that. Devoted to relationships that they can't really tell how this benefits them. Um, To the breaking of bread. They're devoted to the Lord's Supper. They're devoted to, to remember what Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. They're devoted to that and to prayer. Man, what some incredible pictures of devotion. Yeah, I don't know if we want to put that over the fireplace. It'll just make us look kind of arrogant. I don't know. Those seem maybe they go like in the hallway, back to the bedrooms. Just those real intense personal pictures. Pictures of the church growing. Now, those are good ones. Those are the ones that you want in the newspaper, right? Hey, just want you to know. We had 43 baptisms the other day. Hey, just want you to know. Like, literally, and and I'm talking numerical growth. And Luke records that, and the Lord added to their number 3,000. 5,000 were baptized. I mean, 3,000 were baptized. 5,000 were added. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. These are statements that Luke makes describing what is happening in the church. And that's a great picture. Man, it is growing. Well, with every massive amount of growth, there becomes Growing pains, new people to meet, new people to take care of, new people to, and by the way, we're, all, we're still dealing with people here. Like I know the Bible calls them saints, but we love them in the process of not only being, but becoming like that. But then we see in the book of Acts that the church is also broken. Yeah, I know that there were some people that just gave freely, but there were others that were more like swindlers. And when they heard about the popularity and about the new wing that was named after St. Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira got really, really greedy. And then all of a sudden there was church discipline. It involved the death of two. And, and, and Luke didn't go, yeah, we can't, oh, that is not good for PR. No, that goes in the album. Put it in the album. Like it's who we are. It's part of our story. And we're not here to like present 
anything other than who we are in Christ. In a day and an age that is just absolutely obsessed with secrecy and confidentiality and nobody can know, and then on the flip side, Facebook. Think about that. Like literally, just think about the irony of this. On the one hand, and on the other hand, this desire to be known on my terms. Is that not what it is? I so want to be known the parts of me that I want you to know. And we have the Bible. Maybe that's why it makes you so uncomfortable. That's why it makes me uncomfortable. It just shows me. You want to see the next page? Wow, those are ugly pictures. Yeah. My family, though, be careful how you talk about them, right? And this is the Bible. And it forces us to say, so then what really holds us together? Is it, like, is it? I mean, have you ever wondered, like, is it the fact that the majority of us come from the same, like, ethnic racial strain? Please tell me it's not. Like, you, you really think it's like some kind of social binding contract? Really? Please tell me it's not. Is it that we all literally make about the exact same amount of money? I, I know you think that it's this huge, no, 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 it's crazy how we're very, very similar. Please tell me that's not what binds us. What binds us? And Luke makes it very, very clear. It's Jesus. He's the one that holds all of this together. And he is the one that allows us to look at those pictures. Good, bad, daily, unprepared, embarrassed, broken, restored, being restored. And what holds all of them together truly is Jesus. Who he is. And what he has accomplished. And and that's why what we look at this morning are two stories that are about healing. The healing power of Jesus. And so when when we hear about the healing power of Jesus, we, especially in our consumer culture, when we hear about the healing power of Jesus, our automatic response is, how do I get me some of that? That's our usual response. I want to talk to you today about the blessings of Jesus and the blessings that Jesus has for you. And your number one response is, how do I get some of that? But what's interesting is, is that's that's actually not the angle that Luke takes in this story. The story isn't, and and so Aeneas was, was healed of being a paraplegic, and then they had another healing, and then they had another healing, and then they had another healing, and it was, it literally, it took weeks for them to heal everybody there. No, the healing power of Jesus demonstrated, like, the authority and the power and the goodness of Jesus. And if we're honest, we'll take the healing power of anybody. Just want healing. We'll take the 
the, the kind power of anybody. I just want kind. We'll take the friendly power of anybody. I just want a friend. But if you look at this story, it's, it's very interesting how much you have to understand this in the rest of the book. This is the problem of just looking at one photo. Right? This is the problem of judging someone's life from like a day that they gave you on social media. That is so not real. And we all know it's not real, but we don't know how to escape the apparent reality that we see on the screen. And so what we actually see in the book of Acts, let's just take a little bit of a step back. Stephen was killed. And guess what the disciples did after Stephen was killed? This might blow your mind. They buried him. Well, what about the healing power of Jesus? You ever wondered about that? Like, why didn't the church go, <laughs> this is hilarious. You thought you could kill us? Watch this. Okay, guys, go get Stephen. Okay, Peter, do your thing. And Peter goes over, grabs Stephen, raises him back to life. Stephen's back preaching. Why didn't they do that? You ever wonder? In a, in a little bit, actually, we're going to run into another story. The first of the apostles is going to die. John's brother, James. James and Peter are both going to be captured. And Herod is going to have James beheaded. And the response of the church isn't, we can put that back on. That's not the response of the church. The church, you know what the church did with James? They buried him. It's the problem when you and I look for something other than what the Bible is trying to give us. And we're so desperately wanting it. Who doesn't want healing? My, my niece Miranda, the one with bone cancer, and she had to have that crazy reconstructive surgery. The day before her 16th birthday, they found spots on her lung. Osteosarcoma, when it first attacks bones, then usually next when it spreads, five years after the surgery, and so she has to go back. You don't think I want healing? Yeah, I want healing. And, and what the Bible says is, I need you to know that Jesus, since he is God, and kind of the center of our text today, Jesus is good. And Jesus is powerful. He is able. He raised Aeneas from his mat. Look at, look at what the text actually says in verses 34 and 35. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. That, that, that's a real big deal. In the name of Jesus Christ, this isn't Peter just kind of going, man, I hope you feel better. No, this is a, an authoritative word from a, an apostle of Jesus Christ speaking words where people that cannot walk begin to walk. Okay, it's a miracle. Not a coincidence. It's a miracle. And then he says, rise and make your bed. Which we hear that and we're like, yeah, my mom told me to do the same thing the other day. But that's not what it means, actually. It can actually be translated like put your bed away. It, it means more of a, you're not going to need this. Think about it. Like if, you're, if you are, my, my sister needs her wheelchair all the time. 
And it's like, Diana, get up out of your wheelchair and, and literally throw it away like you don't need it anymore. That's what he's saying. Not make your bed. And will you make sure it's like tucked in on the corners and that the pillowcases? And then, you know, if, if he's married to Andrea, 20 other pillows that are in front of that one pillow. That's not what he's describing. Okay, he's not describing that. It's you don't need this anymore because the power of Jesus Christ heals you from this. And I don't even know if it's like that much different today than then. I have no idea. I'd only lived now. But most of us would go, well, how do I get me some of that? And that's not where Luke goes. The church didn't go, you know what? We need to have a meeting because I think we could really make use of this. I think this could really help us grow. Why didn't they do that? Because it wasn't up to them. Jesus wasn't a formula for them to have what they wanted. And he's not for us either, by the way. It's in the healing power of Jesus. And that's why Luke makes it so very clear. And immediately he rose, end of verse 34, verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They turned to him. They knew that in the name of the one that just made that one who could not walk, walk, I have to deal with him. And I get it. I really do. Like, I get the fact that Jesus is so many things, and he's loving and caring and nurturing and forgiving, and he's, as, he's as, just as loving as a hug, and he is just as sweet as chocolate cake, and he's all of those wonder, and he is all of those wonderful things. But Luke wants us to know that he is Lord. He speaks, and whatever it is that keeps people from walking, like, doesn't affect them anymore. Put your bed away. It truly is the healing power of Jesus who is the Lord and creator and sustainer of all things. And when we remember that, it keeps us from just focusing on healings or as we see in a moment, resurrectings. Like what could be better than being healed of cancer? Actually, that's easy. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not going to be hard for us to deal with. I'm not saying that. But what could, be, what could be better than that? And the answer is knowing that Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you. Actually, I've seen it happen recently where someone I know very closely was not healed and found peace in her Savior. I'm telling you, it's It's better. And that's what Luke is drawing attention here. Last week, Mac helped us see that what are these repeated summary statements? That's really what Luke is getting at. And why is it that when I look at this, I'm just trying to, I'm asking, like, why isn't that happening today? And why aren't we not? And what's going on? And how does Miranda get better? And why wasn't Andrea's mom healed? And, and literally, the, the one part I just forgot about was that and many turned to the Lord. Are you ready for the greatest truth about Jesus? The greatest truth about Jesus is found in verse 42. Look at verse 42. Here's the story of Tabitha, whose name is Dorcas. I I guess it translates better like in their culture, I guess. I don't know. It is interesting though. Mark chapter 5 verse 41. Jesus, who's raising a little girl, literally says, I want you to hear this. He says, Talitha kum, which means little girl arise. Talitha kum. And here, Peter says, Tabitha kum. Wondering if there's just 
almost a little bit of a, that's why he wants you to know like Tabitha, not just Dorcas, because Dorcas cum is not the same. Jesus, I mean, so much of the story is like when Peter and they went up and she was dead and, and out of the room and they send everybody out of the room and then Jesus says, Talitha kum. And the little girl like rises because Jesus said so. Think about that for a moment. Death became life because Jesus said so. If your first question is, how do I get a piece of that action? You don't get it. It's, I need to deal with him. The the one who is that good and that powerful. I need to deal with. Like, I, I need him If he can order, like, the lame to walk, and if he can order the dead to rise, he might actually have some ways for you to help you in your life. And I don't just mean to become more successful, but to truly respond respond and to react to the one that made you, the one that you rebelled against, the one that you are not at peace with if you don't have peace through Jesus Christ. Maybe he is the one that can begin to restore and to reorder your broken world. If he's that good and that powerful. The real question with amazing texts like this goes back to the, but do we trust him with our circumstances? Well, I mean, I'll trust him if he gives me that. Okay, that's not called trusting, by the way. It's not called, I'll trust you if you do what I say. Really? That's trust? No, it's, they turn, to the G, they turn to Jesus. They literally, they turn to Jesus. Why? Because he's that powerful. Like he's, he, he must be the one that made the universe. And so I want to ask you like a very real question. Like is he in any way, shape, or form like ordering or structuring or speaking truth into your life? Because this text isn't about like how to get a healing. This text is Jesus Christ is absolutely worth your complete devotion. This follows suit with those statements. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you to the end. This is more in line with that than some kind of sideshow providing certain benefits So that we can attract a crowd. The fundamental nature of this text is people coming to grips with the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's it's not just those who benefited families. It's the whole region. You notice that? And the whole region of Joppa and the whole region of Lydda. Like they, they just knew that, wow, like if in the name of Jesus, this kind of healing can happen, then I need to deal with him. It just forces us as a church in those moments of honest reflection to ask, am I here because Jesus is Lord or am I here for something else? Do I trust the goodness? Do I trust the greatness, meaning his power? And and when, when you're Lord, 
It means you're in charge, right? You are in charge. And do I trust the prerogative of Jesus? Because it appears the prerogative of Jesus is Talitha Kum. And um, Stephen, welcome home. His prerogative. The greatest truth about Jesus in this text is that he is Lord. He's king. Um, this text isn't pointing to his divinity, but if in his name he is raising the dead and if in his name he is making the lame to walk, then that you know there's something more than this guy just has really understood good leadership and is head of a good organization, right? This is supernatural goodness. This is supernatural power. This is supernatural prerogative. And what a pleasure it is for the church to say, so what's going to bind us together? You do realize we will only ever be the church of Jesus Christ. Or we only are the church of Jesus Christ if what binds us together is him. Jesus Christ being Lord. That's, that's one of the real reasons why like, there's just no room for racism or sexism or any kind of elitism. Or, there's mo- mo- literally almost every ism is, just doesn't exist, should not exist within the church community. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And where he stands is Lord. And by the way, it's okay for you to take pictures even if we're not prepared. Because Jesus is Lord. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, you can, you can look at me like that. Yeah, take a picture. Ha, 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 isn't it funny? Jim has crazy hair in the morning. Ha, ha, ha. It's okay. Because Jesus is Lord. I just, I love the beauty of this text. As it reveals the great power of Jesus. Look at verse 42. And all became known throughout Joppa. And many believed It doesn't say that they could find healing there. They just believed that Jesus was Lord. And so that's that's our question this morning. That's what we're dealing with this morning. It's good for a moment to just stop and ask, like, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Because if you did believe that Jesus was Lord, then it's just actually a, a rather, hear me, a difficult difficult but natural step if Jesus Christ is Lord to give him your life to trust him with your marriage to trust him with like your 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 struggles and your sin to trust him by confessing trust him in being vulnerable I mean if Jesus Christ is truly Lord then all of a sudden it becomes if he's truly Lord, well, then I, I, I can. I can. I can forgive and I can pray for my enemies. Like if Jesus Christ is Lord, then I can, I can hold on to those commitments that I made that seem too much for me. Like I can stay in this difficult relationship because Jesus is Lord. Like I can, I can actually go into the hospital room and deal with the outcome no matter what because I know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, do you understand that that fundamental question 
helps us all. See, if what this text is saying is if you become a Christian and, the, and you're sick, then Jesus Christ will always heal you, then the only way for you to ever know that Jesus Christ is truly who he says he is is if you go through some kind of crisis. You don't have to go through this specific crisis to know who he is. Why? Because Jesus Christ is, do you believe that? Let's pray. So God, we thank you for the reality of Jesus and the truth of him, which brings healing. And that's why we believe in even today, your healing, we, we pray for, we um, even at this church, we anoint with oil. We, we beseech you, God, knowing that you are good and knowing that you are able and that if it your will be done. And may we find our greatest truth and our greatest pleasure in resting in your goodness and your power and your timing. Oh God of Stephen and James and Aeneas and Tabitha, we are just grateful to be called your people. And so we thank you, Father, for the privilege of being yours. Right now, Father, I pray that for those of us in this room that uh, are really wrestling with this question, that we would do the difficult work of responding to that question, do I believe that Jesus is Lord? And if I do, am I living my life in response to that truth? Does my life model the lordship of Jesus Christ? And Father, for those of us where that is true, may we find like peace and strength in knowing that you are in fact our Lord. That you're not a distant king or governor but you are intimately close to us. Our Lord, our God. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.